Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Mille Miglia has been called the most beautiful race in the world. In its heyday, the 1,000-kilometer route cut a thin path through the rural Italian countryside, idyllic Umbrian villages, and the foothills of the Apennine Mountains. Roads that were usually filled with cyclists and sightseers were made the temporary domain of 200 or more drivers piloting small displacement roadsters through the winding roads. This race was less like a Grand Prix and more like the Tour de France, but with two-seater roadsters instead of bicycles and many of the drivers weren't afraid to rub fenders. One year's race started at midnight in a total downpour. The cars left the starting line one after another. Piloting car number 427 was the man who created the supercar we know today, Ferruccio Lamborghini. Ferruccio had secured a goofy looking Fiat Topolino and chopped the top off, then ripped out the 13 horsepower 500cc motor, substituting it for a 750cc motor crammed into the little buggy. Lamborghini raced his tiny car along the beautiful roads and gorgeous landscapes. With the wind in his hair, he steadily rose through the ranks, passing other drivers with ease in his bright red, souped-up Fiat. But suddenly, disaster struck. He took a corner too fast and lost traction on the cobblestone streets. He fought for control, but plowed headfirst into an Italian inn. Fruccio's love for motorsports faded quickly after that crash but his love for fast cars did not. How did a slipped clutch in a 1958 Ferrari 250 GT lead to the supercars we know and love today? How did the tractor-building son of grape farmers create the greatest GT cars in history? And how did Enzo Ferrari's bad attitude make his competitors' cars better than his own? Today on Pass Gas, it's the gritty origin story of supercars. Forget Batman Begins by Christopher Nolan, this is Supercars Begin by car lover Nolan and Joe and James. And it starts right now.
Woo woo! Ferrucci Lamborghini, the Wario to Enzo Ferrari's Mario. <laughs> I'm gonna win. Who do you guys play with in Mario Kart? I'm Yoshi. Yoshi. Yoshi's good all around. Mm-hmm. James, do you play Mario Kart? Yeah, Toad. Toad's good. Toad's quick. Or sometimes I, think I I'm like a- Donkey Kong because he looks like me. <laughs> that, like Donkey Kong, uh. Donkey Kong in Mario Kart is how I feel whenever I drive a Miata. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like, oh, hey, there's me. Your knees are up by your ears. Yeah, my head's about six feet above the windshield. That is always kind of disconcerting when you get into a Miata. You feel like if you got into a fender bender, you, you'll cut the top of your head off. With the windshield, <laughs> yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. not the best feeling. Uh, well, I'm I'm a Waluigi, Waluigi. guy. I'd say you that fits your personality. Yeah, you're kind of a Waluigi, you, you, like a dark, not superstar, but like you know, dark <laughs> player in the favorite. background, a crowd favorite. Yeah, <laughs> and you're kind of like a heel, but you're not like a really bad guy. Like I think Waluigi's probably like pretty decent. Yeah, I, I think he just is is guilty by associ- association with Wario. Wario? What has Wario has even name? done? Yeah. Like, what what are his sins? You know? Oh, he just he's, sin he's short he... and fat. That's that's what's bad about him. That's yeah, messed his up, sin man. Is he's, they're different, and they don't think Mario's cool. They're like, okay, whatever, man, do you? But yeah, he's not well, Bowser. I, I do feel like Nintendo has whitewashed <laughs> uh, Waluigi's. History, if you look in the history books, like he did a lot of questionable he's, stuff. He's a problematic figure in the Mario yeah. canon. Dang. Yeah. And, it, you know, like there was a period, his genocide. Whoa. Period, oh, God. His, uh, okay. Yeah. It's, well, maybe it's we'll cover dark. that in a different episode. <laughs> the, All right. Yeah. Waluigi genocide. Well, this is not. <laughs> oh, dude, that's a sick name. <laughs> that, like, uh, Brian yeah, Jonestown like Massacre. Dude, that's Waluigi like you, you go to like, your buddy's like, show or whatever at the satellite over in Silver Lake, and you're waiting for his band to headline, but first it's like, all right, we got Peaches, and then we got Waluigi genocide. <laughs> yeah, and we're like a math rock. Yeah, like, and they m- suck. Midwest emo band. And they do, they, they're trying real hard. Uh, and it's like a like a super mathy breakdown, and it goes, uh-huh. "I'm gonna read," <laughs> and then, then like a bass drop. Okay, now I kind of want to see this. Anyway, that. this is not yeah. a gaming podcast. This is a car history podcast. Welcome to Pass Gas, everyone. It's been a while since we've been in the studio. We've been hard at work on uh, high low. Uh, which is probably out by the time you hear this, the first episode. Definitely out. Yeah. Um, I am your host, Nolan, joined as always by my two co-hosts. We got uh, Joe Waluigi Weber. Hey, keep it, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> And the King of Kong, James Pumphrey. <laughs> uh, King Kong actually ain't got nothing on me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and this is uh, kind of the last part of our supercar series. We've done 90 supercars, 80 supercars, but now we're talking the origin of these things. Where, where did the idea of the supercar actually come from? Well, we're going to talk about that today. Yeah, this is like uh, the prequel uh, to our supercar series. Yeah. Um, 
This is our Phantom Menace. <laughs> our gritty uh, reboot. And I promise all we're going to talk about is uh, Trade Wars. <laughs> yes. And the set. It's like, trade you know, series about, Yeah, about the guys who shoot the guns and fly around. Yeah, well, it's in that world, but we mostly, it's like C-SPAN. <laughs> we should mention that uh, we're not doing video anymore, I think. Oh. For the time being, uh, for the we're foreseeable not, future. If you're listening to this on YouTube, uh, we are not doing video for the foreseeable future on this show because it's harder. Yeah, we appreciate you listening to the show, however you listen to it. Uh, but the the logistics of video production, uh, for the time being, are just kind of um, a lot. So that's why we pivoted to audio only on YouTube. So sorry about that. But once we uh, uh, once we get our podcast studio situation figured out at our new office, um, then we might bring video back. Um, but for the time being, just audio only. So thanks for sticking with us. Um, boys, without further ado, let's get into the origin of the supercar. Ferruccio Lamborghini is what you would call a bit of a car guy, but he wasn't your typical wealthy car collector. While Jay Leno stuffs his garage full of rare cars, he's rarely out there turning wrenches. He's got a whole but team Fru- for that. Yeah, why do we got why do we got to take shots at Jay? Well, not <laughs> Ferruccio though. He knew how to use all the tools, <laughs> and he put that knowledge to very good use. Look, I'm sure at- Jay Leno knows how to use all the tools as well. Hey, hey what's a push rod? He's, I don't know. He's a, he's a busy guy, busy yeah. man. After World War II, Ferruccio noticed that the agriculture market was booming across Italy as people built back from the battles. It was no longer all about small family farms. Now, Italians wanted machines to do the work for them, and Ferruccio had just the solution. In 1947, he reached out to, oh, it's an Italian episode, guys. We're going to have some fun. Azienda Rilievo. Alienación Residiati. He reached out to Hacienda Relievo Alien Azioni. Alien Zone? Alien Zone. Residuati. A division of the Italian government tasked with selling off abandoned enemy war machines. Interesting. He started, played by Don Cheadle. He started. <laughs> Buying and tearing down enemy military vehicles and stockpiling their motors and differentials. Interesting. Can you imagine just like you're in like war torn Europe and there's just these giant machines around and you're just running around in like essentially this like post apocalyptic world scavenging for parts to launch yeah. your tractor company? I'm playing Fallout 4 right now and this sounds exactly. Like the plot of the game. (laughs) (laughs) Fruccio cobbled together the parts into something all new. A little thing called a big tractor. He dubbed it the Carioca, a diesel-powered farming beast. His big advantage was creating his own atomizer so the motors could run off of diesel. It was a crucial development in post-war Italy, a place where petrol fuel was super expensive. Farmers love the Carioca. Orders poured in faster than Ferruccio could deconstruct troop carriers and make them into tractors, so he needed a little help. He founded Lamborghini Trattoria, and within a few years, Ferruccio's little tractor startup went from making a tractor a week to more than 200 a year. 
Whoa. That's about four a week. <laughs> By 1951, Ferruccio's company was making their entire tractor from scratch, aside from the Morris-sourced inline six-cylinder engine. When the summer of 1952 rolled around, the Italian government decided to give farmers a handout in the form of extremely low interest loans to anyone who purchased Italian-made agricultural machinery. This boosted Ferruccio's sales and put fat stacks of cash in his tiny Italian pocket. (laughs) From there, the company just kept growing, transforming Ferruccio from being a rich kid to being an even richer man. Sweet. That's how you do it. That's called uh, bossing it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you watch Shark Tank a lot. They're always like, all right, man, you got to be bossing it. You got to boss it, dude. Hey, you know what? This is what you call uh, pulling yourself up from the bootstraps, okay? You just got to get a rich dad and then a bunch of government subsidies so that (laughs) you can, you know, make a name for yourself all by yourself. Boss it. Boss it. (laughs) Boss it. That's so (laughs) bossing. Okay, sorry. Ferruccio's interests were extending well beyond tractors, though. His car collection was growing nearly as fast as his net worth. That's how it goes, man. As a young man, the only cars Lamborghini could get his hands on to modify and tinker around with were Fiat's and other cheap roadsters. But now, the Cielo was the limit. Oh, the sky was the limit. Got it. In 1958, that Cielo looked a lot like the $14,950 Ferrari 250 GT, costing about $140,000 in today's money. Oh, yeah. That sounds like a deal. <laughs> for each yeah, year, considering those those go for like twenty million dollars in auction. Today. Yeah, sheesh, man, sheesh. Ferruccio made a special trip to the Marinello factory to pick up his 250 GT, one of only 350 ever made. For a car enthusiast, it was a special day for Ferruccio because Ferraris were a legendary status icon. Ferruccio hopped behind the wheel of the 237 horsepower coupe and sped back home with the kind of smile only a jet ski could inspire. But after Ferruccio bought his little Ferrari, his smile quickly turned into a scowl as Ferruccio's buyer remorse crept in. Oh, this is the origin story of Wario, isn't it? This is <laughs> it, man. <laughs> That's why he became so evil, is he got ripped off. <laughs> the gearbox of the Ferrari 250 GT was, in Ferruccio's opinion, pathetic. Soon after the purchase, he had to have the transmission rebuilt. He got on the phone with Ferrari's sales team, and they blew him off. Ferruccio started rebuilding the cursed gearbox himself, using genuine tractor parts to make the car strong like bull. He was dismayed that he could use dirt-cheap, off-the-shelf parts in the Ferrari. And he was even more dismayed that the Ferrari service center charged ten times what he paid for the exact same parts. After a few weeks of phone tag, he wound up standing in front of the man himself, Enzo Ferrari. When Ferruccio laid out in detail just how garbage the gearboxes were, Ferrari scoffed at him and told him that he was just a farmer and that he should stick to building tractors. Bad you move. are a tractor driver. You are a farmer. You shouldn't uh, complain about driving my cars because they are the best cars in the world. Ferrari. Mr. Enzo, here's your espresso. (laughs) What are you trying to kill me? (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What is wrong? Where's my shot of tonic water? (laughs) (laughs) 
Wow, overreaction much? (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Getting told off by Enzo Ferrari pissed Ferruccio off, and he retorted with, Oh, yes, uh, I am a farmer. I'll show you how to make a sports car by myself to show you how a sports car should be made. It was a moment that birthed many incredible cars, but more importantly, a rival that was right at the center of the birth of supercars. Ferruccio launched Automobili Lamborghini almost immediately (laughs) following his conversation with Ferrari. And by 1963, he was recruiting the best of the best in the car world for one reason and one reason alone. To build a car better than Enzo, not my friend Zo, Ferrari. (laughs) I love how so many cool cars came out of Enzo Ferrari just being a jerk. Oh yeah. Like and and you know like the GT40 everything was in reaction to him just being the biggest Remember they tried they tried to like kind of lowball Ferrari a little bit. No, mm-hmm. I know. Ford was trying to you know trying to boss it up themselves and they ended, they ended up uh with a dude who shouldn't have been with. Yeah, they don't know who I am. The dreams team started to come together quickly. It started with a John Paolo Dallara, an aeronautical Ooh. engineer buff who was buff, who launched his <laughs> career at Ferrari in 1960. He then moved to Maserati, and Ferruccio knew he was the man to take up the helm of chief engineer. We'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Ferruccio then knocked on the door of Giotto Bizzarini, who is the controller of experiment, sports, and GT car development at Ferrari. His legacy there was the 1962 250 GTO, which he developed with his team. Ferruccio was drooling at the prospect of bringing Bizzarini on board, just so he could see the devastated look on Enzo's face at whatever eyes wide shut rich people parties both men surely attended. (laughs) For the coach work, Ferruccio looked to Franco Scaglioni. Up to that point, Scaglioni was fairly unknown, but had designed the shell of many remarkable cars that hit the market, including the 1951 Lancia Aurelia B50, 1952 Abarth 1500 Bertoni Berlinetta, and the very weird 1953 Ferrari Abarth 166mm-53 Spider. 
This looks like something that Gru would drive in Despicable Me 4. Very interesting looking car. Uh, this is kind of cool reading this section here because, like, we're recognizing all these names. Like, if you're just, like, flipping through, like, an automotive history yeah. book, sports car history book, you're going to recognize the Delara. You're going to recognize Bizzarini. And now he's constructing the dream team from these names. Yeah. Have you noticed that, like, the Italian words at the beginning of the script, the cities and stuff, I had no chance of pronouncing. And these I probably pronounced about 60% correct. That's because yeah. I've said these names a million times. These guys are a part of all these stories. This is like the Italian version of um, all the you know Shelby dudes meeting at the bar in Riverside, mm -hmm. except they're all meeting at a yeah, spaghetti factory in in uh, Bologna. Mm -hmm. In search of people to round out his team, Fruccio encountered a scrappy young racer from New Zealand named Bob Wallace. Wallace had come to Italy to bust his knuckles working on racing teams, but his dream gig at Maserati fell flat, and he resorted to dropping applications off all over Italy. Because he was a badass driver and an even more badass mechanic, Wallace landed at Scuderia Serenissima, a racing team funded by Giovanni Volpi that exclusively used Ferrari. While there, his job was to deconstruct and improve the Ferrari 250 GTO for the track. Once Ferruccio knew that Wallace had banked so much time under the hood of the Ferrari he hated most, it was a no-brainer to bring him on board. Wallace started as a general mechanic at Automobile Lamborghini, but quickly rose to the ranks to become the main test driver and head troubleshooter for the developing cars. Um, I've driven on the road that they test the Lamborghinis. Didn't it bring tears to your eyes? It did. I cried. As Ferruccio opened up the Lamborghini factory and started the process of designing cars, he was told every step of the way that there was no way he'd ever be able to compete with Ferrari. But Ferruccio had a seemingly unshakable conviction in his goals. Yes, it helps to be a rich kid, okay? But plenty of rich kids accomplish nothing. Look at Brody Jenner. It seemed <laughs> like the Italian... <laughs> was a true visionary. In just four months, Fruccio and Team Lamborghini built the beautiful 350 GTV prototype and hauled it to Turin just in time for the huge annual auto show. People reacted just like we would if we saw a John Deere sports car at the LA Auto Show. They were very confused. That would make sense. Now I want to see that. That would, be very, that would make a lot of sense, actually. Uh, That's very funny. Um. I mean, imagine like if Kubota had a brought like a new track car, or that's a deep cut for is it non agro non agro people? <laughs> uh, yeah, like if this is the new Caterpillar hypercar. <laughs> <laughs> it took people time to get used to seeing a tractor company's name emblazoned on the back of a tiny sports car. The 350 GTV wore a sleek yet elegant body designed by Franco Scaglioni in conjunction with Carrozzeria Touring Superleggera. It was built using the Superleggera system, an innovative method of mounting aluminum body panels right to the totally tubular steel frame. Oh, dude, freaking sick. It's almost like a space frame. Like a. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Their 342-horsepower quad overhead cam 3.5-liter V12 was heralded as a performance success. This was thanks mostly to Bizzarini, the former Ferrari engineer Ferruccio tasked with making the G 350 GT's motor amazing. I bet Enzo just choked on a meatball when he heard those numbers. 
<laughs> Joe's allowed to say that because he's Sicilian. I can say that. <laughs> the engine had a 9.5 to 1 compression ratio and super aggressive valve timing, which pushed the red line deep into the far side of the gauges and made the car more suitable for racing than touring. Later, Ferruccio would ask for the motor to be detuned to make it more comfortable to drive. But back in the day, one of the main reasons auto journalists freaked out over the 350 GT was the interior. Sports cars and a Gran Turismo are totally different things. The sports car goes balls out nonstop, and that's it. The focus is on performance. Mm. The GT car is designed for a grand tour. Mm. You need to be able to go fast and be comfy. Mm. The 350 GT delivered that and more with its plush leather seats, armrests on the doors, and gauge clusters that were easy to read. Lamborghini sold 13 cars right out the gate, and Ferruccio did indeed put his money where his mouth was and succeeded. The Lamborghini Machine name started shifting away from tractors and overalls and started to be spoken alongside powerful luxury cars known for their refinement. You took a ride in a Mira, right, James? Yeah, I've ridden in a Mira. What was the ride like? Was it very stiff? Was it uncomfortable? I mean, it's a really old car. You're sitting on the floor, and it's also basically priceless. So you're trying not Mm -hmm. to fart or break anything with your giant feet. (laughs) Um, Or break anything with your farts. Yeah. That's how powerful they are. So it was cool. (laughs) I was also in the car with, like, a 50-year-old man that I had just met. Which is weird. Um, so, you know, it was, I think my experience was a little skewed, but very cool car. One of my favorite cars ever. This is pretty sweet cool. because usually, like, when, we, when we've told the story of Lamborghini in the past, it's like, yeah, the clutch sucked, the gearbox sucked. He said, screw you, Enzo. Or, and then he made his own car. We haven't really ever, like, done a deep dive on the actual development process yeah. like we just mm-hmm. did. Uh, I'm learning a lot. <laughs> it's pretty cool to just be like, oh, I guess he had made engines before, but the first like production sports car engine you make is like this insane V12. Yeah, and you makes it's so good that you keep using basically the same engine until like 1990. Oh, really? This is like the Countach engine too. Yeah. Well, this is like Mira Countach. This is like the Lamborghini V12. In a way like, that, like, the LS... I think, I think it was, like, the Diablo, too. Or no. It, I yeah. mean, it was the same, like, architecture, I think, but it wasn't, like, the same exact engine. Yeah, yeah. I think the... Uh, the uh, What's the one after the Diablo? The... Uh, Murcielago? Yeah. I think the Murcielago was the first one with a new engine. Pretty wild. Because uh, that was after VW had bought them, right? believe so anyway back in the u.s refinement was not the top priority while ferruccio and enzo duked it out selling a few dozen hoity-toity sports cars americans were doing what we do going all out freaking all out sending it dude lick that stamp and send it boss it up boss it Kicking tires, lighting fires. That's Roast right. me a pig and give me a bag of V8. Smoking ass, smoking grass. <laughs> we were building big displacement V8s that only went fast in the straight line, and we were calling them supercars. The 1969 AMC Rambler was dubbed the SC 
or supercar variety. Ferruccio approached cars with a very specific mindset, and that was that they were built for the road before the racetrack. In America, the motto was, win on Sunday, sell on Monday. And those Sunday races were on ovals and drag strips, not the Nürburgring or Le Mans. For Lambeau, the spirit of American driving was more Route 66 than Mountain Overpass, and the cars reflected that reality. The muscle car era had kicked off around the same time Ferruccio launched his car company. American auto manufacturers had entered into a cold war to develop the fastest, most powerful engines crammed into the lowest price platforms with the least amount of amenities. There was no coachwork or fine-stitched leathers. It was leather bench it was vinyl bench seats and polyester carpet. More roadside diner than Italian villa. The Shelby Cobra and the 1967 Corvette really got the race started on the American side. Both featured sparse, lightweight bodies bolted to gigantic motors, making huge amounts of horsepower. And as popularity skyrocketed, the Pontiac GTO and Oldsmobile 442 emerged as early leaders in the field. Both were available with engines larger than 400 cubic inches and weighed in around the two-ton mark. There was nothing super legera about these cars at all. They were beasts that stunk and spit oil while blowing eardrums <laughs> with yeah. deafening exhaust noises. <laughs> yeah, they stink! <laughs> Dude, they do, though. Well, any time like, like a classic, like a restored classic drives by my house, it makes me wonder how people lived in cities with these things all over the road uh-huh. because one goes by and the air just, it, there's just a stench in the <laughs> air for like 15 seconds, and that's one car, you know? Just yeah. imagine mm-hmm. an entire freeway. Okay, I, I, I understand how smog became a problem. Away from the race for displacement, Ford Motor Company also had a grudge match against Enzo Ferrari in the works. The leaders at Ford were not happy that Enzo's boys had won every 24-hour of Le Mans every year from 1960 to 1965, and they wanted to put together a dream team to make sure Ferrari lost ASAP. If you've seen that movie, what is it, Ford vs. Ferrari? <laughs> kind of easy to remember that title. The working title uh, you know, for that was Go Like Hell. Yeah, that's what the book is called. And in uh, Europe, it's called Le Mans 66. That's a sick title. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, that's the Americans... one where Matt Damon just chews gum, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. his character choice. Yeah. I, was, I think, I think like, Carol Shelby just, like, chews gum. Yeah, he's probably, like, hungry and pr- probably trying to take his mind off of, you know, snacking all day. So he's probably going to have a, you know... A generic southern accent and just chew gum all day. If Brad cool. Pitt you get played an Shelby, Oscar. he would have been eating. <laughs> he would have been eating like a basket of French fries the whole movie. I think that movie was pretty good, except it just totally didn't mention how much Carol Shelby liked chili. Yeah, I wish there was like a a <laughs> like chili like C plot through that film would have been pretty fun. Yeah, there yeah. Was, there wasn't a single chili scene. He didn't mention Chile. You think what? Carol Shelby developed a race car? We spent, you know, two years with this guy, or like nine months with this guy, right? And he doesn't mention Chile once. Yeah, right. Uh, anyway, if you've seen that movie, you know what happened. Uh, Ford unleashed the GT40 on Le Mans in 1964. And you know what? Didn't go so well. 1965 came and went without a checkered flag for Ford either. So... They turned to a man they always turned to when they needed to make cars go faster, Mr. Carroll Shelby. 
Shelby's mechanics cracked open the GT40 and made everything cooler inside, and it worked. They really, they, uh, they did a lot. Uh, if you want to know more about that, check out our, the first four episodes of this show. It's probably a lot different in retrospect, but uh, we covered that. Joe's not even yeah, in Joe's it. Yeah, Joe's not even there. Um, yeah, Joe, that's before we had Joe. Yeah, Nolan. that's true. <laughs> He's grown up so fast. That's before you and me mixed together some gasoline, some <laughs> gear oil, and a whoopee cushion and created Joe. <laughs> then in 1968, John Weir tweaked Shelby's changes just a bit more, and Ford snatched the Le Mans wins away from Enzo and very publicly shoved it right into his face. They were very glib about it. Yeah, while Ford was stealing wins from Enzo Ferrari on the track, our boy Ferruccio was stealing sales from him in the showroom with the Lamborghini Machine Mira, a.k.a. the car everyone agrees is the first supercar. The Mira was born as a sneaky side project, as side projects usually are. In 1965, Lamborghini's top three engineers, Delara, Stanzani, and Wallace worked late nights and off the clock to build the Mira prototype, then called the P400. They wanted a road car developed from a race car that enthusiasts would gobble up like a bowl Ooh. of chili. <laughs> they, had visions, they had visions of driving to tracks and dominating while in the driver's seat of the P400, but Ferruccio pretty much had a no race car sign tacked up on the office wall ever since he wrecked that little Fiat almost 20 years ago. The designers didn't let the lack of race car hopes keep them down. They continued on and kept designing all while dreaming of checkered flags. They built the Mira on a super lightweight frame. Then they took Ferruccio's standard 4-cam V12 and tweaked it and tuned it until it was pushing close to 400 horsepower at 7,000 RPM. Jeez. In, in the 60s, man. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. The engineering team, the engineering team then took the motor and moved it. From huh? in front of the driver huh? to behind the driver. What? Oh. A position mostly seen only in race cars up until that point. The small V12 departed a bit from Ferruccio's previous designs. He managed to merge the motor, differential, and transmission all into one cramped space. This complexity led to much higher repair bills down the line, but it looked impressive, and when it was working... It worked magnificently. A Borg and Beck clutch was fitted to the five-speed gearbox, which was then made it to a German limited-slip differential crafted by ZF. Wow. Whoa. ZF still makes transmissions. Yeah, the ZF8 is like in pretty much every rear-wheel drive car. Mm-hmm. You can go on and on about the innovative ways the engineering and design teams massaged the body and engine to make it the coolest car anyone had ever seen up until that point. The only cool feature that the Mira was missing was a frunk. It even had eyelashes. <laughs> after all their hard work, the three engineers finally unveiled the Mira to Ferruccio. Unfortunately, the big man was less than thrilled. Still, he okayed it as a theoretical marketing strategy. After the car was unveiled at the Geneva Auto Show, it seemed like that strategy was a success. Orders started pouring in despite the model car not even having a motor. See, I think that's he's already like more mature than Enzo. Like Enzo, if he didn't like the design, would probably axe it right away. Yeah, and he'd probably like smack the guy in the face. Yeah. With like a wooden spoon. Mm-hmm. 
Because he's always making his gravy. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're like hungry. We just keep talking about (laughs) no. I'm starving. Savory sauces. Yeah, (laughs) it's a very savory, soupy, saucy, yum, warm (laughs) themed show. Uh, in 1967, when test mirrors were finally getting into the hands of reviewers at Car and Driver, they raved, Ferruccio has handsomely scooped Ferrari in building road cars with all independent suspension with four overhead cams with transverse matter gearboxes. Stop. <laughs> His styling may seem bizarre, certainly more bizarre than Ferrari's, but it's all integrated to one end. Comfortable, high-speed touring. Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. That's some high praise, man. We'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. As the 1960s summer of loved into the 1970s, Ferruccio wasn't slowing down. His team was in the process of retiring the Mira and then replacing it with a whip that would change the supercar game forever. While Ferruccio had been hesitant about launching the Mira, its success had calmed his nerves. With Miras selling like hotcakes, he was now eager to release a spiritual successor that would take the brand to the next level and stomp out competitors like the Ferrari Daytona. Despite Ferruccio's hatred of sparse, race-inspired cars, he saw their value and was on board to push the envelope. He greenlit a team to go all out with the top-secret LP-112 project, also known as the Countach. Do you know where the word Countach comes from? It's a bull. It's an expletive in Spanish. Mm. What's it mean? It's like the F word, I guess. Oh, damn, dude. You just make a car that looks like a spaceship, and you call it (laughs) in Spanish? (laughs) Yeah. This is the Pumphrey. (laughs) Zoot. What? Sick. While the Mira was the first supercar, the Countach was the first real supercar, right? Now, Ferruccio wasn't furiously creating out of spite. He was building towards the future. Paolo Stanzani, Lambo's chief engineer, handpicked some staff to complete the mission. Bob Wallace, who had been fundamental to the 350 GTV and the Mira, was on board, as were Massimo Parenti and Marcello Gandini, who came from Bertoni, the famous car design team behind the Mira and the very cool Alfa Romeo Montreal. The prototype that emerged from their brains took all the great things about the Mira, like the rear mid-engine, rear-wheel drive layout, and all the styling and design innovation, and then expanded upon it. They also fixed all the flaws of the Mira that had emerged over the years, like the stability at high speeds, and that little demon called lift-off oversteer, which plagues rear and mid-engine performance cars. They also smoothed out some of the day-to-day problems, like the painful maintenance access issues that the Mira faced as well. Many enthusiasts think of the Countach as the ultimate 80s supercar, and many of them would be shocked to learn that Ferruccio first debuted it at the 1971 Geneva Motor Show. The car was a decade ahead of its time, and everyone at Team Lamborghini were ecstatic that it took Enzo and his team until 1984 to release the Testarossa, their first real competitor to the Lamborghini Countach. At 10 in the morning, the Countach was unveiled at the Carrozzeria Bertone booth, just as the Lambo booth was busy with the launch of the newly updated Mira SV, the company's flagship model. But all of the attention was on the Countach. The sleek styling of the Italian wedge was an instant hit. It was so popular that Lamborghini was forced to move up the development dates to satisfy the overwhelming 
consumer demand. Wow. Can you imagine being around in 19, 1971 for this and being like, whoa, this yeah, is that's the future. Wild. And then having having all these other companies like rush to find, you know, build a, com- a competitor for it. It's amazing. As the 1970s became the 1980s, the Testarossa was finally revealed. Enzo knew he was losing out to Lamborghini in the rich people driving refined cars sphere, and he needed a quick boost. It was the 80s after all, and it was all about form over function and image over performance. The night before the start of the 1984 Paris Motor Show, Enzo held a party at the world-famous Lido nightclub, a place where you'd often find little mirrors sitting on the back of toilets. You know, toilet mirrors. (laughs) (laughs) He decided to unleash the Testarossa on the world outside of the auto show, a first in the automotive world. The nightclub on the Champs-Élysées. Oh, Champs-Élysées. Oh, Champs-Élysées. Okay, so the nightclub was packed with celebrities and muckety-mucks who were given special Ferrari emblazoned magnets to open the nightclub doors. Sick. Whoa, that's awesome. They were all waiting to see what Enzo had up his sleeve, and he did not disappoint. The flashy unveiling wasn't meant for auto journalists or car enthusiasts. Ferrari had targeted the elite and the paparazzi to make a point that supercars were more about glitz and glam than what was under the hood. Sure, it would haul ass, it was a supercar. <laughs> but when driven head-to-head with the Countach, writers at car magazines preferred the Lambo. But that didn't stop an endless list of celebrities from buying the Testarossa. Even drug dealers preferred the Ferrari once it started making cameos in Miami Vice. All of this just proves Ferruccio's original point. Enzo Ferrari was a pretentious jerk. After 20 years of competing head-to-head to build the best car, Enzo learned nothing. As the 80s drifted in and Ferrucci had put him in his place, Enzo reverted to his first opinion. Farmers should stick to driving tractors. Enzo Ferrari worked incredibly hard to maintain the image of his cars as the toys of the elite who liked to dabble in racing. You can even see it today with Ferrari's obsession with protection of their brand image. The biggest takeaway of this story is this. It's competition that pushes every aspect of automotive excellence forward. Whether it's Enzo just being a jerk and keeping a tight grip on the image of his vehicles or Ford gunning for a Le Mans win. The competition created the fire that stoked the flames that forged the future of supercars and all of us benefited. Yeah, I, I don't know how much I've benefited from supercars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the immortal words of Drake, <laughs> we started from the bottom and now we're here. From the slapped-together 350 GTV prototype that Ferruccio brought to the Turin Auto Show to the absolute majestic piece of craftsmanship that is the 2020 Lamborghini Machine Benino Roadster, you can follow the string that Ferruccio created way back in the 60s. He didn't just start supercars. He built the entire empire where they live with his refusal to cut corners and desire to make a fast streetcar that didn't have racing on its mind 24-7. The dream was always there. But because most of the supercar builders were so obsessed with racetracks and checkered flags, they found themselves driving off the line way too late. It is uh, interesting to think, okay, like if Lamborghini 
hadn't started his company with this kind of fast car for the street kind of model instead of pure racing car. I mean, that did that was like the catalyst for this competition, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Ferrari probably would have kept building their GT cars like the, you know, the Daytona, you know, front engine, comfy, rich guy cruisers. Um, but, you know, that, I, that's, that's a progression, you know? It, it takes someone to, to start this, this arms race and then others hop on board, like yeah. McLaren, Bugatti, Porsche, you know? Koenigsegg. Great example. And it just, yeah, laid the foundation for all these amazing cars just because it was like a finally Ferrari had competition and they had to like put forth a lot of effort into their new designs and feel like we got a lot of really cool, you know, the base for modern supercars came out of this. I love Lamborghinis. And I love their philosophy still. They're like a hot rodding group, right? That's kind of the vibe at Lamborghini headquarters. Like when you went out there, you said they they they're the they're the supercar company that doesn't give a shit, you know. Yeah, they're and like they're proud of it. There's like this room where you can go and customize all of your stuff, like your interior. Like you can get a Lamborghini from the factory with bright pink leather interior. <laughs> if you want, yeah. Uh, me and Nolan, they want to be wild. Got- like their whole thing is they just want to be the wildest, and they want a people to look at their cars yeah like we turned no one got up and close next to uh a scion the cn saiyan a scion Scion, dude scion xb yeah yeah Yeah, that was out of that rap shop we went to oh my god and it was next to a bugatti and i was like i couldn't like yeah could not even look at the bugatti i was like whoa this was the new cn versus (laughs) the bugatti what was that uh sharon it's like a sharon uh, oh, the the like special edition yeah. though. It was like this was like a uh, you know two million dollar Bugatti sitting next to the Cyan. Was that the, the pure like, the pure sport? Uh, yeah. yeah, dude. This was uh, the Cyan was the only thing I could look at in the room. Yeah, it was it was wild, man. What's what's I mean? If you were to pick, you you have ten million dollars to buy the Lamborghini of your dreams. What would you buy right now? Uh, all black Murcielago, manual six speed. Yeah, I'd get a white. I'd get a white Mercy manual six speed. White on white yeah, on white. Yeah, gated manual. I'm going all black, just like Batman. Ooh, Bruce Bruce Wayne. I, I still th- I know it's uncomfortable compared to modern Lambos, but I still want a '90s uh, purple Diablo. Diablo is a close second mm-hmm. for sure. Um. Dude, but that Aventador, we uh, back when we were oh, shooting yeah. our car review show, the new car show, uh, we mm-hmm. reviewed some Lamborghinis, and James and I took a little ride in a Aventador with the all-wheel drive. Yeah. Um, just like the mm-hmm. most violent launch I've ever experienced. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, it was you used so to much draggers. fun, man. Freaking single disc clutch, so the shifts were just so so uncomfortable. It was awful. It was awful. Uh, but that's what makes Lamborghini Lamborghini. It's just like, yeah, dude, we're doing it. If you don't like it, <laughs> off. You know, it was sick. Yeah, we're wild, so man. Sick. We're wild. Well, thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of Pass Gas. Uh, we have 
a lot of them. We're coming up on our hundredth episode. We're get, we got we're planning something real special yeah. for yeah. you there. Um, uh, you know what? If you like this show, tell your friends about it because word of mouth is still a huge part of how people learn about new podcasts. If you think someone would like it, tell them. You know, hey, give it a listen. You got a, you got a friend who's got a road trip coming up. You know, be like, hey, have you heard of Pass Gas? Check it out. Check it out, or I'll kill yeah. you. Use that threat uh, to get people to listen to us because we're <laughs> we're out of options. We need you to threaten your friends into listening to our podcast. Please, absolutely, absolutely. That's how you maintain a friendship. All right, everybody. If you got any questions or corrections or anything, uh, you can email us at passgas at donutmedia.com. Uh, let us know if there's something you want us to cover on the show. Uh, if we got anything wrong, let us know. Um, and, you know, let me know what your favorite supercar is from any era. We might just respond to you in a future episode. I think we have some some mailbag episodes coming up. Yeah. This was a perfect bookend to our supercar series. I really had fun doing it. It's fun to, you know, talk about these models and how they were developed. And like James said, we get all our, uh, most of our topics from the fans emailing us. So give us a little shout out. Absolutely. And with that, it is time to end. All right, everybody. Follow James Pumphrey on all social media at James Pumphrey. Follow Joe at Joe J. Weber. At Joe G. Weber. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes. As always, be kind. See you next time. Bye. And stay fired up. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.